The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Yes, if you would turn to Psalm 94. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you in the back of the pew. And if you don't own a Bible, after this service, please go over to the information table and you may have a Bible as a gift from Park Church. Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow in the, in the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye. Does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked, For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, My foot slips. Your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold, and my God, the rock of my refuge, He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thanks, man. My name is James. I'm the uh, director of operations here at Park Church. And uh, when I showed up this morning, uh, one of the the women who was here serving us uh, said, Oh, you got a haircut. You look 14. (laughs) So I said, well, I guess I'd rather look 14 than 44 as a 31-year-old. So I'll take that. Um, But yeah, whatever your opinion of me me is, if you'd like to let me know what your opinion of my physical appearance is, (laughs) uh, I'll be up here after the service. Just come come let me know. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. 
Hey, I'm, I'm honored to look at scripture today with y'all and, and do my best to tell you what it means and, and why I think it matters for us. We're, we're continuing in our study of the Psalms. As you know, we, we return to the Psalms every summer because they teach us how to pray. Um, they teach us how to feel and they show us Jesus. Um, and, and this week we have the opportunity on Tuesday night, 6.30 PM, we're going to be doing our monthly worship and prayer night. And we've invited our friend, uh, Aaron Strumpel to come in. And, and to do all of the things that we just talked about, to teach us how to pray, to teach us how to feel, to teach us how to sing the Psalms and, and sing to Jesus. And so we'd love for you to join us for that. Um, if childcare is an issue, don't let it be. Sign up today, RSVP for childcare today. This is the last day where you can do that and come and bring your kids and, and we want to worship Jesus together Tuesday night. So I hope you can join us for that. Uh, you can go to the website or go to the info table to sign up for that today. Um, let's ask the Holy Spirit for help as we look at this text together. Holy Spirit, we just confess that you're here with us, Um, and we know that you love to to do a couple things. You love to convict us where we've grown complacent, and you love to comfort us where we're hurting. And so I ask for myself and, and for my friends in the room that you would give us the courage to engage with what you have for us today. And would you show us Jesus, and and in showing us him, would we be changed? I thank you for the steadfast love of the Father that we just sang about, the the love that goes on and on and on and on. I'm grateful for how you've proven that to us in Jesus, that our debt has been paid, that there's nothing, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in creation that can separate us from the love of God. Thank you. Thank you. So I pray that as we look at Psalm 94, that we would be reminded that the cross of Christ speaks a better word than any of the the cares of our hearts that we brought in with us today. Would your consolations cheer our souls as we study your word together here in Psalm 94? Pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, in case you didn't pick up on it in the scripture reading, today's psalm is a heavy one. Um, And y'all know me, you know that I like to tell stories, I like to use humor in my sermons, and there's just not a lot of space for it today. So you got the haircut joke, and I've got maybe one more for you. But beyond that, this this is a heavy, heavy psalm. This is basically about the people of God being oppressed by those who would call themselves the people of God, and yet their actions are far from it. They're described as as proud, as wicked, as arrogant evildoers who crush and afflict the people of God. Um, You saw in verse 6 that they're murdering widowers. Those are people who have lost their husbands. They're, They're murdering sojourners, people who have lost their land, and they're murdering the fatherless, obviously those who have lost their fathers. So they're preying upon the weak and the vulnerable. The people who need help the most, they are attacking them. These are evil people that we're reading about in this psalm today. So what I think the psalmist wants us to learn is how to pray when it feels like the oppression in your life or in the life of someone around you feels unending. Like how do we go to God when it feels like this oppression will never cease? How do we talk to him? What do we say? I have to be honest, for, for a lot of us in this room, we don't actually know what it feels like to, to be the person writing this psalm. Um, I, I want to be careful with that because I know that there is untold sorrow in this room, so I want to be sensitive to that. I know that. But I also know that we live, most of us, a relatively comfortable lifestyle, right? We live in one of the most coveted cities in the United States. A lot of us have well-paying jobs. A lot of us drink all the craft beer that we want, and we go skiing, and we have 
pretty good lives carved out for ourselves here in Denver. And we don't know the type of affliction or oppression that the psalmist describes here. So some of us will have to lift our eyes today. Okay, we're going to have to lift our eyes to the people around us who are experiencing this kind of oppression. And we're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the gift of empathy to help us weep with those who weep. <laughs> Amen. So I, I, I want us to think about the ways that we can pray for and care for in tangible ways those who need it most. I'm, I'm grateful for the people that we partner with, Hope in Our City, Alternatives Pregnancy Center, the Providence Network, Save Our Youth. These are the people doing the work in this city that God has called us to be a part of. So be listening for the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's telling you that he wants you to give up your time or give up your money to go serve with those organizations. But I, I want us to think about the type of holy indignation that should rise up as we read about what's happening in this chapter. And I, I want our hearts to be spurred with, with a holy compassion for the weak and the vulnerable and those who are attacked and oppressed and need help. And I think that as we gaze upon Jesus today in this psalm, that, that the Holy Spirit might call some of us to consider how we engage with this work. So I also want to address one other group in the room. I know that there are those in the room who feel the weight of this oppression, okay? So whether it's family members or friends or coworkers or bosses or more systemic means or maybe it's mental illness or maybe it is demonic attack, you feel the weight of oppression that is described in this psalm. You feel what it says in verse 19, the cares of your heart are many. And I want to tell you that God's consolations can cheer your soul. Because through the work of Jesus on the cross, God is making all things new. And so I want you to see God is a righteous judge who's going to put an end to oppression. It's a matter of when, not if. That day is coming. And so if you feel plagued by darkness... If you feel oppressed and hopeless, my prayer for you this morning is that this scripture would be a kind of balm for you, that it would be a soothing, comforting word of hope, like, like a drink of, of cold water on a parched throat. All right, let's, let's look at the text. We're going to look at it in two main chunks. So the first is verses 1 through 11, and if you want to take notes, my title for this section is that judgment is coming for the oppressors. Judgment is coming for the oppressors. We're going to see that here in verses 1 through 11. Starting in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist asks God, he says, glorify yourself, shine forth, mortify these evil oppressors. You see, the enemies here, they thought that because the people of God were conquered, that God himself was conquered, and they couldn't be farther from the truth. So the people say, shine forth, get your glory, repay to the proud what they deserve. Proud here means that they've exalted themselves above God, which is the most foolish thing that you can do on this earth. And the prayers that are being prayed here are actually prophetic prayers because these sons of violence will reach their end. Again, that day is coming. And we also see that God has given two titles in these first two verses. So uh, first, the God of vengeance. Do you think of God as the God of vengeance? The psalmist repeats it. He says, he calls God the God of vengeance twice here. And then he also gives God the title, um, Judge of the Earth. And what this means is, is that there is no one. Uh, there is no ruler, there is no president, there is no king, there is no CEO. There is no one on earth who is outside of the jurisdiction of God. Everybody reports to God. He's the judge of the entire earth. And, and, and that's good news because he's also just. 
God has the authority and the prerogative to judge the whole earth and avenge wrongdoing where it's taking place. Some of you may be wondering, what is the difference between uh, vengeance and, and avenging? They're words that sound similar, but there is a difference there. So I'm going to read James Montgomery Boyce on the difference between avenging and revenge. He says, revenge is an act of passion, vengeance of justice. Injuries are revenged, crimes are avenged. In other words, revenge is a response to personal injury, while vengeance is a function of legitimate judicial authority. So vengeance is proper to God. It is a function of his perfect justice. If you grew up in the church, you're probably familiar with this phrase that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You all know that phrase. You've heard that. Um, It comes from Romans 12. I want to read that now just to give us even more of a context of vengeance versus revenge. Starting in, in verse 19 of Romans 12, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Earlier on in in that passage in Romans 12, Paul instructs us to bless those who persecute us. It's a strange concept concept on its face. Like, why would I uh, bless someone who is willingly causing harm to me? Seems kind of strange. And I'm going to address that question in just a second. But first, I want to see, did you pick up on the tension between Romans 12 and Psalm 94? In Psalm 94, is is the psalmist blessing those who persecute him? No. He's saying, God, crush them. So how can both things be true? How can we both bless those who persecute us and ask God to crush them? I think there are two answers. Number one, we can bless those who persecute us because we have Jesus as our example. And number two, we can pray that God will crush the evil oppressors because we know God's character. We know who he claims to be. We've been promised that vengeance is God's, that he will rise up and save. And and we've been afforded such freedom and love in Christ that we can, by the power of the Spirit, feed our enemies when they're hungry and give them something to drink when they're thirsty. Both things can be true. And also, we can speak the truth and love to them, okay? We can pray that the evil works that they are doing would be brought to an end. I was, I was listening to a podcast on Friday, and if you don't know what a podcast is, uh, it's basically like a radio program that you can listen to whenever you want on a little app on your phone. It's really cool. And uh, if you need an app to get started, I recommend Overcast. And if you need a uh, podcast to get started, I recommend the Park Church Podcast hosted by James Levine. It's really good. Yeah, really good. Thank you. My one, my one listener just spoke up. <laughs> um, so I listened to this podcast called Pass the Mic. And Jamar Tisby read um, Frederick Douglass's entire address from 1852 entitled, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? In this address, he beautifully and eloquently calls out the abject hypocrisy of celebrating emancipation while simultaneously enslaving millions in the United States. Frederick Douglass did not simply bless those who persecuted, but he called them out. He spoke the truth with clarity and compassion and love, and he prayed for the day when oppression would cease in this nation. 
He's an example of what it looks like to not just bless those who persecute you, but to speak the truth and love to them and to pray to God that the oppression would cease. All of these things can be true at once. Now, there are ditches here that we must avoid. Um, The first is that we would read Romans 12 and think that God calls us to be doormats. You would read, bless those who persecute you and think that God just wants you to be mistreated for the sake of the gospel and to never say or do anything about it. And, And hear me, I am not advocating for that. If you are being taken advantage of, if you are being taken advantage of, if you are being abused, if you are being manipulated, I am not saying that you should remain in that relationship. Of course I'm not saying that. The second ditch is that you might look at all of this evil and oppression and seek revenge, right? You might put yourself in the throne room of God and say, I'm the judge of this situation and I will decide what is right. And both of those ditches are wrong. They're both unhelpful. But God's word and the Christian faith, as it always does, provides us a a beautiful third way. Um, In the first chapter of John's gospel, he describes uh, Jesus in, in, in verse 14 as being both full of grace and truth. This is the call for us today, that in the light of oppression, that we would be both full of grace and truth. You can be full of both. But I want us to take a look at who these wicked people were, because I would imagine that it was hard to have grace for these people. I mean, verse 4 describes them as pouring out their arrogant words. They're boastful. They act as if their tongues only belong to them, that they would not be accountable to the judge of the earth. In verse 5, we see that they are crushing God's people, his heritage, and, and, and that he's made an everlasting covenant with these people that's built on steadfast love, but they think that they can crush these people. In verse 6, we see what I mentioned earlier. These evil oppressors are killing the most weak and vulnerable among them, the fatherless, the widower, the sojourner. And I have to be honest, uh, when, I, when, I, when I was studying this week, I couldn't help but think about um, the situation along the southern border, the people who are seeking refuge and asylum in our country. And I want to say this clearly, okay? I don't know what the right answers are when it comes to controlling our borders and caring for those who seek safety. And I know that there are bad actors who come into this country to try to harm us, okay? I know that both of those things are true. I want you to hear me there. And I also want you to hear me say that to mistreat or oppress those who are fellow image bearers of God does not reflect the heart of God for those who are in need, okay? I won't say more than that because the answers to these issues are far above my pay grade, but, but I am going to say that the psalm, this psalm right here calls for those who would bring harm to widows or sojourners. He calls them wicked. And guess what? The oppressors in their arrogance and in their evil, they think to themselves, look at verse 7, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. I want us to just sit on this for a second. Can you imagine the brashness of this statement? What these people are saying is that either God does not see what we are doing, that he turns his eyes to it, or secondly, that they've been so crafty that God doesn't see it as the wickedness that it is. These are both utter foolishness. They legitimately think that they will never be held accountable for their actions. And, and though we see the foolish of, foolishness of it right here and now, I would have to imagine that the people in this scenario felt like the evil oppressors were the ones getting ahead, like they were the ones who were winning. That's often what it feels like when you are the oppressed and you feel like, oh, these are the people who are actually winning. 
Well, we're reminded in 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 18, that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God destroys the wisdom of the wise. God destroys the wisdom of the powerful. And the cross speaks a better word when you feel the weight of oppression in your life. So while we might be tempted to consider those who use their power for, for evil as those who are winning The text here in verse 8, it calls them the dullest of people. It says, fools, when will you be wise? That's how this text describes these people. Now, I I do want to highlight just the fact that this question is in the Bible. It shows us that even the vilest of people are never too far gone to accept God's grace. Matthew Henry, as I was studying this week, he he had this quote, while there is life, there is hope. While there is life, there is hope. If you are living and breathing, there is hope for you. And so if you walked in here today feeling like you are too far gone, like God could never love you, I want to assure you that that is absolutely not true. And while you may not be murdering innocent people, I certainly hope that you're not. If you are, let's talk after this. In fact, somebody call 911 if anybody confesses that around you. Um, Maybe you identify more with the proud in this passage. You live without regard for God. You feel like he doesn't see you, and your lifestyle reflects that. I just want to tell you, Jesus died for whatever you did yesterday, whatever you did years ago, or whatever you're going to do today or tomorrow. Jesus' death satisfied God the Father's holy need to bring justice for all the sins that we've committed. So we've talked about how God is a God of justice and how our sins need payment, and Jesus' death did that for us. All these sins are forgiven if you call on Jesus as your Savior. So I want you to know you are never too far gone to ask for forgiveness and be saved. Maybe that moment would happen for you this morning. That's our prayer. I'll just be explicit with you. If you came in here and you don't yet call God Father, if you don't yet call Jesus Savior, that's what we want for you, because we think that that's where you find life, and life everlasting. Unfortunately, it's not what we see the wicked do in this passage. So we continue on, verse 9, where the psalmist uh, begins to rebut the argument of the wicked. He says, uh, he who planted the ear, gets a little sarcastic here, he who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? The God who created humanity, you think he's blind and deaf to the injustice that you're committing right now? Absolutely not. God sees us, he hears us, and verse 11, he knows our thoughts, and guess what? He loves us. So we can turn to him, we can confess our sins, we can accept Jesus as our Savior, and let the Holy Spirit begin to change you into the kind of person that God wants you to be. Um, now, there's a, there's a pretty distinct turn in this next section, so we're, we're entering into section two, which I've titled, Deliverance is Coming for the Oppressed. So these are, these are our final verses, 12 through 23. You see this turn in verse 12 where it says, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord. So we've just been talking about oppressors. We've been talking about God bringing justice. And then all of a sudden there's this line about, Blessed is the man whom you discipline. What is, what is this all about? I think what the psalmist is doing is he's looking above the trouble that surrounds him. And he, he's lifting his eyes to see the hand of God in this scenario. 
Though the enemies are breaking them to pieces, the psalmist knows that those enemies are mere instruments in the plan of God. They are instruments for the discipline of God's people. That's a hard word for some of you, um, because what he's saying here is that sometimes in our lives, when we experience hardship or oppression or even injustice at the hands of, of ungodly people, sometimes God is working through those ungodly people to get our attention and to bring correction in our lives. That's hard to hear. Um, I, I think of a year that I spent working at a startup about eight years ago, and, and I want to be like, I wasn't working for ungodly oppressors, but I'm, I'm thinking about how this, this year of my life felt like God was fixing some things in me. He was correcting some things in me and, and, and helping me to turn into the kind of person that he wanted me to be. I was, I was a fresh-faced, recently graduated uh, young professional who knew little about the, the rigors of professional development. Um, and this was one of, the, one of the hardest years of my life. You could, you could see it on my face when I would come home from work. I worked from home, which didn't help anything. Um, but I, I'd walk over to my wife's apartment and we'd have dinner together and I was just drained, man. I was beat. I didn't want to talk to her. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just, I, I had nothing left to offer. <laughs> um, and, and yet I texted my boss and I told her, I texted her on Friday when I was preparing. I was like, hey, that year of my life continues to reap benefits in my professional career to this day. So thank you. It's one of the hardest years of my life, and I learned so much more than I could have learned with an easy job where nobody challenged me, nobody pushed me, okay? So sometimes God uses hard things in our lives to make, him, to, to make us more like his son. Um, we're reminded in Scripture also that, that God disciplines those that he loves. So if you're not feeling the discipline of God, then, then that would be a bad thing for you. God, God disciplines those that he loves. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going I'm to read this for, these first two verses which talk about Jesus and about um, the, the discipline that he uh, underwent. And then we'll, we'll jump down to verse 6. So, uh, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We jump down to verse 6, and it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So the aim of God's discipline is to teach us, to teach us how to become people of strength, people of beauty, people who are, who are unflappable in the face of the harsh realities of life. Um, and I want to be clear, this is no mere stoicism. This isn't like a, a hardened, unemotional, grit your teeth and bear it kind of thing. Rather, this is a person who is so rooted and grounded in God's love that he or she can look reality in the face, process the emotions that come up with that, and be unchanged in the midst of it. That's the kind of person that God wants to make you into. So when you walk through hard seasons, and many in this room are, I know because I've talked with you about them, um, you can rest assured that God sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and his aim is to make you more like Christ. I know it doesn't always feel that way, um, but we serve a good father who we can trust. And I want to be clear on one more thing here. Um, I'm not saying that the discipline itself is the good thing, okay? Like I'm not saying that the hard season that you might currently be in is good. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that I think God uses it to teach us, and I'm confident that, that what God is teaching you in the midst of it is good. It's for your good. 
Um, as we see in this psalm, the, the goodness of God's discipline and the badness of the oppressors are not mutually exclusive, right? God can, can use it uh, to, to bring beauty, and we can be angry at it. Again, both can be true at the same time. I'm just grateful that we serve a, a providential, all-powerful, all-wise God who gets to decide how things go. Because I know that if, if I did that for myself, my life would be a train wreck if I tried to just run it the way I wanted it to. So I'm grateful for that. Um, let's, let's keep moving along. Verse, verse 13, we see that rest is coming for the righteous. It's promised that rest will come. And we also see that a pit is being dug for the wicked. And we gotta be careful here again too because some of us see this pit that's being dug and we go, we turn back into revenge seekers, right? We go, oh good, God is digging that pit where those evil people are going to go. And, and if we go there, we miss the point of the passage. The point of the passage is the glory of God. It's about his name being esteemed. And, and that can happen through vengeance. So that can happen through evil people being thrown in that pit. And that can also happen through mercy because God is a, a God of both mercy and justice. He knows what's best. It's not for us to decide. It's not for us to put ourselves in the, in the seat of the throne room. And what we can be assured of is this. The people of God, though we are cast down, we will never be cast off. We are God's people now and forever. Verse 15 tells us that justice will return to the righteous. The bad things will be mended. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe not next year. Maybe not in your lifetime. Which is hard to hear, right? But Jesus is coming. He is going to make all things new. That day is coming. Heaven will come to earth. And that day is coming, okay? That's good news. The psalmist still feels the weight, though. Look at verse 16. He cries out. He says, who rises up for me against the wicked? He's thinking, maybe a friend will come to my aid. Maybe a loved one will come to my aid. But the thing about being the oppressed is that often people don't want to speak up for you. They don't want to stick out their neck for you because it's risky to do so. It's risky to take the side of the oppressed and say, I'm here with you. I'm going I'm to rise up for you. I'm going to stand with you. Because you go against the oppressor. You go against the one who has the power. And yet we see in verse 17, who will always come to our aid? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon lived in the land of silence. The psalmist was at his absolute wit's end. He didn't know what to say or do. He was almost ready to just drop in the grave. You see it in verse 18 about his foot slipping. He was ready to let his foot slip and, and drop into the grave. He had given up. And yet, continuing in verse 18, the steadfast love of the Lord held him up and it holds us up today. We can be confident of that. So where others have failed you, I want you to know that in God, you have a faithful and powerful friend. His mercy will sustain you. It will steady your feet if you call out to him, if you run to him. And, and this isn't merely about physical protection, okay? It's also about what it says in verse 19, when the cares of my heart are many, aka when, when my head feels like it's spiraling out of control, when I, when I don't know which way is up. When the noise in my head is so constant and unending that I don't know what to do. Um, when I feel like I just want to sleep for a million years. Divine consolations cheer my soul. The hope that is ours in Christ is a life-changing hope. As we read in 1 Corinthians... The word of the cross, it, it, it's, it's folly for those who are perishing. And if we're wrong about the cross, then, then we're fools. 
But I don't think that we are. I think that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived a perfect life and he died the death that we all deserved and he rose again and he gave us hope and he gave us life in him. And because of that, divine consolations cheer our souls. When the cares of your heart are many, run to God. Remind yourselves of what is true. Now, worldly comfort, some of us run there, right? Because worldly comfort can provide temporary relief. We turn to all manner of things, whether it be Netflix or food or alcohol or sex or working harder or friendships or family. We often look to these things to satisfy. And again, they will temporarily. Why? Because they're good gifts from God. But when we place them in the place where God is meant to be, they will disappoint us a hundred out of a hundred times, I guarantee you. Why is this? Our hearts are restless, as Augustine said, until they rest in God. And so if you seek refuge in worldly comforts, you will be disappointed. I'm going to quote Matthew Henry again. He said, God's comforts bring with them that peace and that pleasure which the smiles of the world cannot give and the frowns of the world cannot take away. Can I read that again? God's comforts, they bring with them the peace and the pleasure that the smiles of the world cannot give and the frowns of the world cannot take away. It's good news. God is our rock, verse 22. He's become the rock of our refuge. He's our stronghold. Um, I, I love this imagery of God as a rock. We sing rock of ages here. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. So God's a rock. We can hide in his clefts. And God is also a rock on, on whom we can stand. And our feet won't slip. And then finally we see in verse 23 that that God will reckon with the oppressors. The psalmist sort of brings it all full circle. Verse 1 asks God, repay to the proud what they deserve. And then here in verse 23, the psalmist assures us he will bring back on them their iniquity. They will be wiped out. They will be cut off. They will be removed from the presence of God. The judge of the earth, the God of vengeance, he will act. He is mighty to save, and, and his love for his people is steadfast. Um, as, we, as we close our time together, I just want to read this passage that my, from a book that my wife is reading. She, she sent it over to me the other day and said, I think this, this pretty beautifully illustrates what this psalm is talking about. Um, so I want to read this. It's, it, the book is called Hind's Feet in High Places. It says this, Therefore, I begin to think, my Lord, You purposely allow us to be brought into contact with the bad and evil things that you want changed. Perhaps that is the very reason why we are here in this world where sin and sorrow and suffering and evil abound, so that we may let you teach us so to react to them, that out of them we can create lovely qualities to live forever. This is the only really satisfactory way of dealing with evil. Not simply binding it so it cannot work harm, but whenever possible, overcoming it with good. So if you're here today and you're angry or you're tired or you're depressed, the cares of your heart are many. If someone has mistreated you, I know that that's happened to all of us in this room, I want you to know again that God sees you, he knows you, he is the judge of the earth and where there is evil, he will act. So let's ask the Holy Spirit Again, thinking Hebrews 12, we don't want a root of bitterness to grow up in us. We don't, we don't want to fester on these things. We, we want to ask the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to help us gaze on Jesus, and to move towards forgiveness. 
to move towards um, being full of both grace and truth and, and realizing that we no longer have to seek vengeance because that is what God will do for us. All right, we're gonna transition into a time of response. So if the band wants to come back up, um, I just wanna say again, if, if you're here today and you haven't called upon God as, as Father and Lord, you, you feel the pain of being outside of the presence of God. Maybe you've run to some of these empty sources that I mentioned earlier, like TV or food or sex or beer or relationships or work, and you found them lacking. Maybe that's what brought you here today. Um, and so I just wanna plead with you, run to God today. Um, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. There is life everlasting. Maybe you're here today and, and you feel oppressed by someone or something in your life. And your cry is, is verse 16. You say, who will rise up for me? Maybe you know somebody for whom that is true. So let's, let's take time to listen to the Holy Spirit. Hear what he has to say. Maybe you want to meditate on a verse from this passage, verse 22 or 17 or 18. Uh, maybe you'd like to spend some time meditating there, or maybe somebody comes to mind that you should call or text next week and just check in and say, hey, how are you doing? I was thinking about you this week. How's that season? Where are you at? How are you feeling? Or maybe, as I said again at the beginning, maybe it's something locally or globally that you feel compelled to, uh, to give of your time or your money um, to try to beat back the darkness and the oppression that you see around you. So um, let's be open to all of those possibilities as we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit now for him to speak to us.